The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Capture comes with a five. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Star Safety Rating and is an ideal compact SUV with lots of space for the family. Pick up your 192 Capture at Blackstone Motors this August. See blackstonemotors.ie Well, did they throw it away? Should they have won? What am I talking about? The final yesterday, Croke Park, yes, what a day. I had the privilege to be there yesterday afternoon with my son, Jared, in the Cusack Lower for an absolutely wonderful game of football. It was outstanding, I have to say, but I'm sure Kerry people today are thinking, did we let it go? Dublin, they won't miss out, will they, on five in a row at the second attempt? Such a game of football from beginning to end. Now, Dublin, with 14 men, I have to say, they were magnificent, absolutely magnificent uh, to cope with Kerry. But when Kerry got that lead, a point in the latter stages, you just thought, and the stadium rose. The, you realise then how many people were actually cheering for Kerry, even though there was a massive dub support there. You just thought, well, they're going to be denied, like Kerry were back the five in a row many moons ago, and yet there was still another twist. The point... The kick at the end. Why didn't they send Cluxton up to take the kick? I'm still wondering why. It would have been difficult. But he's done it before. And for Kerry, oh, the big chances in the game. The penalty. The hitting the bar. The clearance off the line. Will they get those chances again Saturday week? Oh, my word. It's really wet the appetite, hasn't it? And people left yesterday. We were coming out and supporters were mingling and people scratching their heads. Dublin probably slightly relieved. Kerry wondering again, but... Everybody left with the glow of feeling they'd been at a memorable, wonderful All-Ireland football final. And boy, did football need it this year. It really did need a game like that. And it got it. There's going to be some scramble for tickets, ain't there? Saturday week, the 14th, the replay. Will I get a ticket? (laughs) Maybe I'm pushing it a little bit now. I'd love to go back. I'd love to go back and see it again. But there you are. Anyway, well done to all concerned. Fabulous occasion. An All-Ireland final, there's little to compare to it, isn't there? It's just absolutely brilliant. And the referee, David Goff, let's give him a mention from County Meath. He had a great game. I really thought he handled it superbly throughout. It wasn't easy and he made big calls. And, you know, they fell each side. But you have to say, he had a wonderful game. And congratulations to you, David. I think you did a wonderful, wonderful job. I doubt if he'll get the replay. I don't think he will. I think there'll probably be a change of referee for the replay. But there you have it. He refereed a game to remember this final in 2019. And uh, well done again to all concerned. You would late lunch on LMFM Radio this Monday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show. Let me tell you what's happening. Remember last week I went to the Totally Terrific Tomato Festival? Well, it wound up the weekend... 
world record set there last year was it beaten this year again? You'll find out with me after three o'clock today. I'll be joined by Matthew Jeb, the director of the Botanic Gardens. Naomi Izumin is with me on the show. She's written her autobiography. I tell you, folks, this is just outstanding. And she'll be with us on the show around about half past two today. Helen McEntee is here. No, you're not on Michael Reed. You're with Jerry Kelly on Late Lunch. It's not that Helen McEntee. It's another Helen McEntee. And she's with us to talk about study. If you have children back at school, students, you know how studies are difficult the conflict that happens the Cumin method have you ever heard of it you're going to hear more about it on the show this afternoon and if you want to get in touch with us you can always join the conversation 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or across social media if you'd like to call it's 1850-715-958 now we've talked about this many times on late lunch through the years and you do know what I'm getting at here many people today you know they're obsessed with their personal hygiene. Showering every day. Soap, shampoos, deodorants, perfumes. Women and men alike using vast quantities of water and spending massively on hygiene products. My first guest today, listen to this, hasn't washed himself in 15 years. Doesn't use any of the products I just mentioned a moment ago. Doesn't use water. And listen to this as well. He's no the worse off for wear. Dr. David Whitlock is the founding scientist of AOBiome, a company based in the United States. And earlier today, I caught up with David and began by asking him to confirm how long it had been since he washed. Yeah, somewhat more than 15 years. Why did you stop showering, David? Well, it was my science experiment. I, I had made the discovery that these ammonia-oxidizing bacteria were very likely important in, you know, human physiology. And, you know, the only way to test it was to, you know, do the experiment. And what prompted it? Did you see something in nature or in the natural world well, or with I, mankind? I, I was dating a woman who you had a horse and she asked me this question, you know, why did her horse roll in the dirt in March? And I wanted to impress her. And actually, I, I went to the library even. And eventually I figured out, well, it was to get the right kind of bacteria on the horse's skin so that sweat over the summer wouldn't putrefy. Half the solids in sweat are urea, and urea hydrolyzes to ammonia, and ammonia on the skin causes diaper rash. And in the soil, the bacteria that metabolize ammonia are the ammonia-oxidizing bacteria. So it, you know, kind of made perfect sense. When you came to this conclusion, was it just a decision you made then to stop showering? Did you stop using soaps and shampoos and stuff like that? Well, yes. I mean, at first I thought um, that if I just stopped showering that I would spontaneously get a, a, a culture of these bacteria. And so I tried that for a while and that did not work. So I, I you know, tried to, went back to the literature to understand why. And I realized that these bacteria are quite sensitive and they're very slow growing. So, you know, you need to jump start them. Then I, you know, went to a, a farm, got some soil that had these bacteria in them, you know, grew them up in my basement <laughs> and then applied the, you know, culture of these bacteria to my skin. And that was kind of really the start of my experiment. So did you smell for a time? Uh, when, once I applied the, the bacteria, no, I didn't smell at all. But you had an I, issue with with a stench, obviously, when you didn't apply the bacteria. If, you, if I'm just trying to get to the point that if you just stopped showering today, stopped using soaps and shampoos, this just wouldn't happen by its own volition. 
That's correct. It, w it would not. These bacteria are, um, you know, they're, they're quite sensitive and that they, they're killed by soap. They're killed by too much alcohol. I mean, you can, if you drink too much, you can, you can wipe them out. And, when, you know, once they're wiped out, they don't come back unless you purposefully, you know, inoculate yourself. Now, you know, maybe in the wild, they, you know, they can't spontaneously come back. But in, a, in our modern culture, no, you, you need to specifically inoculate yourself with these bacteria. It's our mother dirt, AO plus mist. How many times do you need to apply it in a day? Well, I, I, you know, spray it on my hands and feet, especially where you have, where you sweat a lot. And that's really about it. I mean, you, and, you know, spray it after, if you, you know, bathe at all, you want to spray it um, after you, after you bathe, because any kind of bathing will, will, you know, remove the bacteria. So after you, after you bathe, you, you know, sp you know, spray it on and let them, you know, do their thing. So you're not against people washing per se. You're saying to people, do wash by all means. Are you against people using the shampoos and the soaps of the day and then applying deodorant? Well, yes, and for several reasons. The you know typically soap and detergents will kill the, these bacteria. That you know soap is a, a carboxylic acid, you know sodium salt of a carboxylic acid, and that's. So it's a very strong anionic surfactant, which, you know, that's why it works as a, as a soap. And that strong anionic surfactant, you know, kind of gets into the membranes of the bacteria and disrupts them and is actually fatal to them. You, the soap all by itself will kill a lot of bacteria. It will kill these bacteria, our ammonia-oxidizing bacteria. You know, we have some special um, soaps, cleansers that are much milder that don't kill them or kill them a lot less. And so that's, if you're going to bathe, that's what you recommend. But, you know, I don't, I don't use anything. So <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, it really has caught our attention now. So you basically just would use water per se alone or else these milder forms of soaps and shampoos. And that's it really. If I need to wash my hands, like for food preparation, I will use a, you know, one of the milder, you know, mm. soaps that, milder detergents that we have. But other than that, I, you know, I mean, the only things I, I wash my hands when I do food preparation, I, you know, shave my face using one of our, you know, foam products. And that's about it. Other than that, I don't wash. I mean, I, I don't, you know, if, if I got some dirt on my, you know, something, I would wash, you know, that something. <laughs> but <laughs> typically, I, you know, I, I wear gloves when I do, you know, work, you know, work on my car, work on my, you know, equipment that, that you know, has oil and, you know, things like that on it. I, I will wear gloves so that I don't need to wash my hands afterward. And then I'll, I'll just use water. I, I won't even use our, our mild, our mild detergents. And, you know, unless, unless I have something that, you know, oil or, or something that needs a, a detergent to help get rid of it. So it is a fact that in the last 15, 16 years, you have not bathed or showered in that time. Is your hair not matted to your head or do you have much hair? Do you mind me asking you that? Well, I, I mean, there's a picture on our website of me and my hair is kind of sparse and, you know, I'm pretty, getting pretty bald on top and my hair grows very slowly. So it's not, I mean, I'm not a very fashionable person. That's the top of the head. Let's move down along the body. What about under your arms where people sweat naturally? 
I only use the the ammonia oxidizing bacteria. You just use your spray there? Yes. For the private parts that we have, uh, as we move down again along the torso, there are areas that sweat, and you know, within a a day or so in warm weather and that, you really do have to change your clothes, and most people shower daily. How do you work out there? If I need to, if I feel the need, and that's, you know, maybe once a month or, or, or something, I will use a washcloth with just water and then reapply the ammonia-oxidizing bacteria. The bacteria will, will take all of that sweat and turn it into nitric oxide and nitrite, and that nitrite will suppress everything that's, that's bad. So in the world today where we've become hyper-clean and people wash themselves incessantly and there's an emphasis on cleanliness, this is no setback to you in life at all. You don't stink. You don't drive people out of the room when they're in your company. Nothing like that, David. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. If, if, unless people, unless I tell people, they have no idea. And when I tell people, usually they don't believe me. It is hard to fathom. I, even as I sit here a long distance away from where you are, it's hard to comprehend. But I hear what you're saying and I understand it. And I have looked online and, and seen your testimonials and what, what this wonderful product can mean. Do you have an, a, a body odour? Do you know the way you have, we have a natural body odour? Do you still have that even using this product? Well, I, not that I notice, but maybe my sense of smell isn't that great. Um, and maybe I'm used to it, but... You know, other people don't don't report that I have that I have one. My you know clothing will will pick up an odor if I don't you know don't change it for a week or so. But w- when I put on fresh clothing, no, I, I don't I don't notice that I have any any odor at all. I mean, the the bad odors that come from sweat and you know body odor, those really are um, certain uh, fatty acids that bacteria generate from amino acids, they deaminate the amino acids and produce these, these fatty acids, and the fatty acids are what have the odor. What the ammonia oxidizing bacteria do, when the bacteria deaminate those amino acids, they make, they make ammonia. And so these bacteria take that ammonia and turn it into nitric oxide and nitrite, and that suppresses the bacteria that are doing the deamination of amino acids. David, just before we finish today, this is fascinating. Are there other wider health implications from living the way you live as regards your personal hygiene? Yes, I, I mean, you know, we certainly we think so, and we've discussed many of them on our website. You know, my health is a lot better than it was when I started my experiment. My, you know, hay fever has gone away. My blood pressure has gotten better. I used to have the metabolic syndrome. You know, I feel better feel like I'm more mentally acute. You know, things have gotten better and my personal experience is an anecdote, but, you know, it's very compelling to me. And, you know, we're trying to do the research to, to verify that, it, that it's real physiology, you know, and that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years, you know, what we're doing here at AOBiome. The hygiene hypothesis, people have noticed that many of the diseases of modern civilization, things like allergies, asthma, heart disease, cancer, uh, neurodegenerative disorders, you know, kidney failure, obesity, you know, many of those things are, you know, common in the developed world and rare to unknown in the undeveloped world. And people have said, well, maybe it's the hygiene hypothesis, you know, that, that there's some difference in the, in the bathing practices between the developed world where 
piped water and, you know, soap and, you know, industrial styles of, you know, cleansing products are common, cheap and common versus the undeveloped world where, you know, there isn't anything like that. And, you know, people in the undeveloped world are much healthier. You know, I think it may have have to do with these ammonia-oxizing bacteria that bathing in the developed world, you lose them. Not bathing in the undeveloped world, you, you retain them. Yes, if you want to find out more details about this amazing product, motherdirt.com is the website. You can find it there. I want to say a big thank you to the founding scientist of AO Biome who joined me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Thank you so much, David. Well, thank, thank you for the opportunity to share this. Well, there you have it. 15 years and he hasn't washed. No water, no soap, no shampoo, no nothing. Helena Mullins is sitting in the hot seat now. Well, what do you make of that? Well, very interesting. And especially seeing as we want to be more energy saving and save water and the like. Maybe it might be an option for the near future instead of using all your deodorants and probably blocking up your pores and whatnot. Um, But yeah, I could be open to doing something. Maybe that will tip across the water, would it? Tell me honestly, do you shower every day? Yes, every day or else even just always wear deodorant. Yes. And the like, and I do my best, but I have bought like products without paraben in it, or I maybe yeah. have gotten bars of soap to wash my hair instead of the normal branded. Uh, I don't want to say any names on air, you know, yes. the normal branded yes. of bottle shampoo. Yeah. I think Lush is a really, really good. I shouldn't mention what on here, but anyway, they're yes. really, really good, um, cruelty free, and also uh, re- very um, reduced waste as well. So it's mm. interesting. I got a cork uh, box before with a soap of uh, a bar of soap to wash my hair, and there was seaweed in it, and it actually made my hair really volume like it, it was perfect volume. So I do think uh, it's worth having a look at alternative options. But here's the thing: you were talking to me this morning upstairs in the office, and you said to me, "What about his hair?" Now I did ask him about exactly. his hair. There, he hasn't got much hair at this stage. But at the end of the day, that's what concerns you. How would that be? Well, you know something he told me, and he said it there. It's fine. It works out fine with time. The natural oils and everything work in, and things are okay. But look at honestly, would, would it if, if you were told in the morning, Helena, no more water, no more washing, you just go with this? Would you give it a go? I'd give it a go, maybe for. My body, but for my hair, especially, like my hair gets greasy, like in two, okay. day two. So I definitely use loads of dry shampoo because like, I hate washing my hair every day. I don't think it's good for your hair. Yeah. Because, as you say, the natural oils yes. and the like. Yes. But definitely, I could look at that maybe to the future. But well, I don't know. Maybe you, if my neighbour tried it first, I'll let me know how you get on well, in Ireland. Well, I have to say, I, I just wouldn't shower every day, but I'd shower a number of times a week, but not every single day. I don't think it's necessary, especially in the wintertime of the year. Not so much in the summer when it's hot, you know, hot yeah. and all things like that, and you could nearly shower twice a day. But I do understand where he's coming from. What's in deodorants? You know, what's in these shampoos, these soaps? and things? This is the big concern here, and he's using none of it. I want to ask listeners this. Is there anybody out there brave enough to tell me that they live like the doctor who was speaking to us a moment ago, like Dr. David Whitlock. Is there anybody out there who showers little, you know, little, doesn't do it much at all, or doesn't, full stop, or, you know, maybe is not into showering every day, maybe only showers once a week or things like that. Are you brave enough to tell me if you do that or you live like that? Come on, let me know. We want to hear from you. 086 1800 658 
text, WhatsApp us as well, 1850 if you'd like to call in. I, I won't reveal your name if you don't want it. We'll, we'll keep it anonymous. But tell me, please, come on, tell us. We want to hear from you on late lunch this afternoon. Thank you, Helena. Thanks for having me, Jerry. I can't imagine a woman, Jerry, who doesn't wash herself right through all of the time. She would stink like, I guess I won't use that last word. Thanks indeed, Ella, for that one there. Another comment there. I think you're right, Jerry. Don't need to shower every day or wash every day. Once in a while is fine. Top and tail, other times in between. Yes, top and tailing is a thing that people do, and we did years ago. I can remember when I lived at home, we had no bathroom in the house. Saturday night was bat night. The old metal bat was fired out in front of the fire, and in you went. And that was it, once a week. We were all in the same boat in school in my era. I, I, you know, nobody washed every single day. That's that's just the way it was then. A lick and a promise is right, eh? <laughs> that's a saying that brings back a smile to my face because I can remember that. That was obviously used in so many homes as well. That's what it was, really. But you know what? We were none the water. Maybe we were all in the same boat. Maybe we all stank at school and we just didn't realise it because we all stank. I don't know. I will say seriously. Like, if you... You are someone who doesn't change your clothes and stale sweat stays on your body. or It's shocking. It is a shocking scenario and some people are oblivious to it when they are actually in that state as well. But it's really interesting what the doctor has to say. There's no doubt about it. It really is. I think we've become the other way. We're obsessive with cleanliness and washing and showering and baths and deodorants and oh, you name it. It's massive business, of course, the world over. But there was a time not that long ago when we hadn't the money. I never heard of a deodorant in my life till I went to work, I think it was, even after that, to be honest with you. Anyway, moving on on late lunch, let me remind you about this because Dundalk Football Club have a huge date coming up in the Brandywell in Derry. Yes, they're celebrating the EA Sports Cup final again. And here on LMFM and on our breakfast show, we want to give one lucky junior football fan the chance to be the official mascot for Dundalk when they take on Derry at the Brandywell on Saturday week, September the 14th. It's the same day as the All-Ireland replay. We'll also have tickets to the big game to give away, along with copies of the all-new FIFA 20. And we're also looking for two extra junior fans to be flag bearers. So a mascot and two flag bearers, three positions up for grabs. So what do you have to do? Simply record a video or a voice message of your child telling us why they should be Dundalk's mascot on the big day, the EA Sports Cup final, and send it to the LMFM WhatsApp number 086-1800-658. Just a little condition. All entrants have to be between 8 and 12 to enter, 8 and 12, and they have to be accompanied by a parent or guardian on the day. Very, very important to remember all that. Yes, into news at 2 and weather with a classic from Christy. Oh, I remember it. Times were tough, and he wrote this one to mark those tough times here in Ireland. They were then, they came, and hopefully they're gone again for good. I'm an ordinary man, nothing special, nothing grand. I've had to work for everything I own. Oh, well, I never asked for a lot. I was happy with what I got. Enough to keep my family and my home. Now they say the times are hard and they've handed me my cards. They say there's not the work to go around. Oh, when the whistle blows, the gates will finally close. Tonight they're going to shut this factory down. The 
they'll tear it down Before two on Late Lunch, we were chatting to Dr. David Whitlock. He hasn't washed in 15 years. And I challenge some of you to tell me, if you did the same, I knew you'd be a little reluctant. Who's going to tell me that they don't wash or haven't washed for a day, a week, a month, a year or whatever? But listen to this. When winter comes, Jerry, when it comes in, I have to wear a coat. I grow a beard. When it returns to summer, off comes the coat and I shave off my beard. It's the natural thing to do. Less washing in the winter, heavy clothes. And I wash the summer clothes more often. Easy to dry in the good weather as well. Thank you indeed for that nice comment. Keep them coming to us for washing, against washing, loads of washing. 86 658 by WhatsApp or text for your comments. Now, my next guest, I don't think we've had this on LMFM before. Helen McEntee was in this morning. Yes, with Michael Reid, the politician. And I was chatting to her and I said, guess what, Helen? You're on in the afternoon. She says to me, what are you talking about, Jerry? No, I'm not. I said, you are. No, I'm only joking. I said, but there is a Helen McEntee with us this afternoon. Oh, she says, what's she in for? I said, she's in to talk about study. And the minister said to me, oh my, I wouldn't be much healthy on that one. <laughs> anyway, I want to say a big welcome this afternoon to Helen McEntee, who's going to talk to us about the Cumin method of study. Helen, you're very welcome to the show. Hello, Jerry. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Now, the Cumin method, I have to say that Siobhan O'Neill White, who's a regular with us on Late Lunch, pointed me in your direction and said, Jerry, you need to talk to this woman. It's fantastic. What is the Cumin method? Cumon is an individualised maths and English worksheet study programme for five to 15 year olds. We aim to help children of any age and ability to become confident, independent learners. So it was developed um, 60 years ago in Japan. Uh, by a maths teacher called Toro Kumon. And now it's around the world with over 4 million students worldwide studying English and maths. And this enables students to reach their potential. So this is aside from school or home study. This is an add-on. It is an add-on, yes. The aim is that we uh, encourage students to um, study independently. They come into the centre um, and they work on uh, a personalised study programme that we tailor for their needs of, so children have all levels of ability. So from five to, what did you say, what age? Fifteen years, yes. So sometimes we would have uh, children just starting school and it goes right up to some students would... um, even take it on in TY year. Okay, so they can start at any stage. The earliest is five, which is an early school age as well. Do you get many starting at five? We do. We do get uh, get children starting at five. And sometimes um, it would be uh, children who are uh, love maths or maybe children who are struggling with maths or English. Um, mm. Some students, English isn't their first language and it's a great help to them going into school. Can I do either or or must I do both when I come to you, English and maths? Uh, we have students doing uh, both subjects and uh, just the maths or the English. Uh, either is, is common. Yes. So let's start with it literally. And, and the other thing, just before I, I do ask you this, you can join at any age. So whether you're 5, 8, 10, 12, 14, even for a year towards the end, you can come in and do this. That's right, because when we start a child, um, we give them a free assessment. And from that assessment, we give them an easy can-do start point for their study. So they're coming in, they're not overfaced by the programme at all. This enables them to set a time 
at home where they can do the work. Um, they might try in the morning, does it suit? They can, you know, they're, they're moving the time around to find a time that suits them. And that's just 20 minutes of work. And that is at a, a stage where they can do it. And gradually we will be moving them up at the end of each level. There's a little assessment and they then feel I'm ready to move on or we give them more time on that level. And that really does help to improve their confidence and it improves softer skills like um, their focus, their resilience. We, um, we, we enjoy the uh, mistakes. We're not, uh, so we're building resilience to that. Um, if, we, if we have mistakes, we're learning from those mistakes um, and we're learning about working to time. So how long is 20 minutes. Sometimes it is an issue for a six-year-old. They are looking at uh, sums, maybe 10 worksheets, and they come to the end and they say, gosh, I've done all those sums. That didn't take me nearly as long as I thought it was going to do. Mm. And they have then that joy of always at the end of their work, they get 100%. Their work work is marked. They do any corrections they may need to, and they finish always on 100% with a big smile. Do you know, I'm sitting here listening to what you're saying, and for me, this is what is missing in education in school. Now, I don't be, mean to be disrespectful because teachers have to teach curriculum and they have a big class and they have to do it in a certain way and they have all different abilities. But you're giving skills to students that are essential, not just for study, but for life a- a- as well. You know this learning by rote that you hear about all the time? This isn't. This is the antithesis of that, is it? Well, with maths, we are giving them practice at a level which they can do and we are getting them to master that. And very rarely would they get uh, the same sum for 20 minutes. And they just sit down and focus on those sums for 20 minutes and the ability to go back immediately and correct those problem sums. And sometimes they would miss sums or pages and it gives them ability, gosh, I didn't realise I'd done that. Mm. How did I do that? Mm. And that quickly disappears. Those problems quickly disappear because their focus has and their stamina to do the work has improved. Um, so, and in the English, the, the the same applies. And we would say that with doing the program, you find benefit in all subjects. Okay, so it's not just confined to maths or English. Well, the the program is maths and English. Yes, but when the, the benefits the benefits of those softer skills of focus, stamina to do the work, resilience, confidence mm. that spreads throughout the curriculum. You can apply that to any anything it really. Gives life learning skills. So this idea of problem solving, which is sort of at the heart of it as well as a skill that it gives to them that they can, can take along so when a child comes to you for example at five um, how long is is this session in Kumon and how many times a week must they go well the session is depends on how many subjects they do uh, for one subject it may take 20 minutes um, for the two subjects it may take 45 50 minutes um, with the younger ones we have um, people assistants working with those younger ones and for the older students we're trying to develop an ability to sit down read the question read the answer and we wouldn't be um, if they have a problem we're trying to encourage them to read over the question and read over their answer and those skills are useful for any exam any subject okay so the older ones they, they sort of need less of an input uh, naturally than when when a child starts with you so 20 minutes say, say take one subject so it's a 20 minute module how many days a week they do the work every day so every day they're with you yes. five days the, the school week is it they do the work at home oh, for at home. seven days yes okay. and they come in to me they can come in once a week 
or twice a week, oh, depending right. on the schedule. Some people can't make it in. They're travelling sometimes from Navan or Dundalk. Yes. Um, so uh, they can come at once or twice a week. So homework is a big part of this. Yes, there is a commitment at home. We have an answer book for the parents and that commitment is needed to mark the work and get the child to correct those any mistakes they might have. And then we would have that the student comes into the centre, they switch the homework with the new work, they do the, that day's work in the centre, and we would then record that homework in the centre. And that gives me the information I need and I observe them in class, to know, is that child mastering the work that's given to them? Do they need to repeat that work before that's mastered, before they get a level assessment to move on to new work? And is your aspect of the work tied in with the year the child is in in school, that academic year? Um, we use that as a guide when we first set the assessment, right. but we, um, we, that would be the end of when we would look at what their age was because the aim is that we that a child can work beyond their school grade. Um, so if a child is really enjoying a subject, they, there is no limit to what they're able to achieve um, in the, in the so programme. So ability dictates. As they show ability and they grasp this and they master it, they move on to whatever level they wish. Exactly. So they could be way ahead of, you know, what they're actually, you know, looking after or studying in school. Yes. In the, in the spring this year, we had a student of 12 finish the English programme. Completely. Completely. And that's that was one of the And that's youngest. up to leave insert, really, is it? They're it at is. that stage, 12 years of age. She was one of the youngest in Ireland to complete the programme. Child genius. Channel 4. <laughs> put her in touch <laughs> for the next round there. Yeah, she but was reading um, some of the greats, Treasure Island, Wuthering Heights. She had access to all of those within the worksheets. Fantastic. You know, in school, where children often at times struggle in a big class, and, you know, a child can feel inadequate, you know, in the presence of maybe a few first class, you know what I mean, very brainy children. Do you come across that? I do have children who have had a confidence knock in the classroom and they've tried the school assistance and they still are struggling with it and they come into the class um, and they do an assessment and it's at an easy level and very often they come out with 100% at that level and the grin on their face that is, is remarkable, there's a sense of satisfaction and they work through that um, and the security and confidence that they have in the centre, there is no... Um, noise, no disruption. Everybody is working on their own level. It's not transparent. Nobody knows what anybody else level they're working at and they can sit and complete the work in confidence. Testimonials. There are many. I've been looking at them this morning. There's glowing praise of what you do. This does work. I'm a firm believer in it. My children started with the programme. Um, my son was in first class and third class and I heard about it um, through friends and we travelled to Skerries um, years ago to do the programme and had fantastic results. And um, then when the centre became available in Drogheda, um, I snapped up the chance to 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 run the centre and it's great to see the rewards from the children working with the children. And there's been a lot of inputs to you uh, yourself, isn't there? This is just not a franchise that you take up and you pay for. There's a lot involved here. For myself, yes. um, training. Yes. Yes. Um, to take on the centre, um, there's a big commitment. There's... Uh, 
sessions that I go to in Dublin, continuous learning, uh, to as the program develops, which it regularly does. In Japan, there's a whole um, department where they are continuously renewing the worksheets, upgrading them. So we need to keep be kept abreast of that. Um, but to start with, I was backwards and forwards from London for, for the training indeed, yes. yes. So there's a, there's a lot of work goes in there and then it transfers on to the student. Just to somebody asking there again, how is it taught? Just come back to that once more, how it's taught. Well, um, it's it's not teaching as such it's a worksheet taught program mm. so it encourages the child to read the question and answer the question within the the program so um i would be observing there's nobody at the front of the class directing the students the idea is that when they're stuck i assist them and i assist them in such a way that they have to figure it out to some degree themselves. So you would, I would be very much instructing to read the question again and is your answer answering that question? And so they then have to think, and very often, 90% of the time, they come up with the answer themselves. That light bulb goes on in the head. Yeah, because they are doing the work that is suited to them. Right. That is the key, that it's a personalised programme. So I have always set the work that is that they can do mm. um, so that that should be in the, within their ability yes. to figure that out. It's so different to a classroom the way you describe it as well, you know. It's, and it, It's letting them have that yeah. breakthrough moment themselves. Yeah. Um, tying in with other schoolwork, you, you know, they, they go to school, they get the homework and the subjects from school. Starting from five years of age, the little homework and, of course, building up as they move towards leaving cert as well. Do you find this can be incorporated quite easily, even with volumes of work? Let's talk about the older ones now who are going for exams. Well, the older ones, it is much harder to start when they're in secondary school. Okay, so you recommend a primary school start? I recommend a primary school start. Because the time, yes, even from five years old. In England, sometimes they were started as young as three. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, But for us in Ireland, we would often start them at five um, to give them that they're sitting still. They're used to sitting in a classroom environment. Um, But we would say find a time that suits the child. So if they want to do it first thing in the morning when they get up, do the 20 minutes before they have the homework to do. They have it done and they walk out to school and they've got their brain moving. Um, and it's a lot to do with that. It's like asking a child to run uh, a kilometre. You wouldn't ask a child who, who hasn't run 100 metres to run a kilometre. We are getting them to start at a level they can do in maths and building that mental arithmetic skills slowly and gradually. And that's why it's a, it's a 365-day-a-year programme. You do not stop. If you stop, you notice they slow down and they maybe go back a level. So they still have homework during the Halloween break, the Christmas time, the Easter. Yes, this goes on. That goes on. And in summer holidays. And in summer holidays. Very often people start at the beginning of the summer holidays because their child, when they go back to school in September, every year they feel they take so long to get. It could be Christmas before they're up to speed again, uh, half term. So we... um, we have people start in the summer and that means that when they come in September, they're up and ready. Their brain is ready for action, which is what school requires. In your own children's case, coming back to that again, had they not gone this road, had they not got involved with Kumon, do you think there would have been a big difference? I do think there would have been a big difference. I think they... Um, they certainly, the maths that it's given them, the speed of the ability of the maths meant that they got into secondary school in an honours maths class and they had the confidence in the maths that 
it's hard to go back when you're at the top of the class in secondary school at the beginning they have to keep it up. Mm. So uh, it gives that uh, belief that they know they can do it. And prepares them well, I'm sure, beyond then the um, second level if they decide to go, you know, further yes, into education. Yes, it gives education. them the, um, the can-do attitude and mm. belief and confidence in themselves throughout the school work. Boys and girls or anyone, is there a distinction there between the sexes and taking to this or being, you know, more amenable to it? No, I find I have students who are boys and girls, yeah. both the same. Yes, they, they, they both can take to it equally. Um, it's attitude as much as ability, mm. I find. It's so important. You know what they say? It is, it is so true that if you have the attitude to do the work, you can do it. So, so- It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Self-learning is the goal, really. A mindset of self-learning is... Taking it would control be... of their learning, yes. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. And I'm sure it's, it's great satisfaction for you too when you see children come in and you see them develop and, and move on uh, through it as well. So it's an apt time to talk about this because, you know yourself, homework is the bane of many parents' lives. Don't have to tell you if you've been through it yourself. Have you done? When will you do it? Are you getting it done? Again, tell us about Kumon and the way you operate or how people can find out more about you at this time if they want to inquire for the children. Well, we have a website, um, kumon.ie, and go in and there's an ability to find your um, instructor and it's the Drogheda North in, uh, is, is my region, Helen McEntee. And if you send an email to me at north at kumoncentre.ie or... Um, yeah, but that, that's really the details the out the there. Details I saw them myself on Kumon, and it'll show you where your local area is as well. Yes, in the Barbican uh, in William Street is where we're based on a Monday afternoon and a Wednesday afternoon after school. Are you the only one in County Louth? We're the only ones in County Louth. What about Meath? There's one in Balbriggan. Okay, which is North County Dublin. So yes. Meath isn't served either at the moment. Not yeah. at the moment, no. So they drift to you. So they would come from <laughs> as far away they as they have. You were saying York. that, that yes. they come into you as well. It's very interesting. And I honestly believe anything that 
enhances the education of children, gives them the uh, the mindset of self-learning and the ability to work out is a really good thing. Well, if they're looking for a, t- uh, a chance to try it, uh, this is a good time because we have a one-week free trial on to see can they, like you say, fit it in with their schoolwork. If that's something that's um, no, they're not sure about or they're not sure about coming into the centre or how the maths and English would work give it a try for a week uh, Can't beat that offer, it's the best offer you'll get today anywhere, free trial of Kumon operating at the moment, give Helen McIntyre a shout, kumon.ie and we have our details here of 185715958 if you'd like to call in Thank you for joining me and telling me about this. Started in the 50s in Japan, worldwide now, and most successful. Helen, nice to meet you. Thank you, Thank you for joining me on the show. We're heading towards our next break on Late Lunch in the company of Take That and Back for Good. I guess now it's time for me to give up it's time Got a picture of you beside me Got your lipstick marks Still on your coffee cup Oh, yeah Got a fist of pure emotion Got a head of shattered dreams Gotta leave it Gotta leave it all behind now Whatever I said Naomi Isi, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me on the show. Now, I better tell listeners the reason you're here. A few weeks back, you said, Jerry, I'd be interested in joining you on Late Lunch for a chat. I'm bringing out a new book. It's called Before Dawn. And the subtitle says, A Young Widow Struggled Through Loss and Her Eventual Rebirth. Well, may I say... Yours is a remarkable story. Thank you very much. Firstly, it's an autobiography, yes? Yes, it is. Now, let's go back and take you right back to the beginning. You're from Nigeria. Yes, I am. You were born and reared there. Yes, I am. I was. And well educated with a very good job. Thank you, yes. You did your university education. Yes. What did you qualify as? Accountant. Okay, so you're full of fully qualified yeah. accountant and life is good from a very good family. You meet this man, Emade, and the meeting is very special. Tell us the story of how you, you came upon him. Okay, what happened was um, I actually have a friend. You know, I go out for lunch with my friends, so um, I have this friend who I always hang out with for lunch, and then we're supposed to meet up at a certain time. I was meant to pick him up at work, and then we go out for lunch. And then I got to his office, he wasn't ready, he had called me, oh, give me a few minutes, I'll be down with you. And then after waiting for like 20, 30 minutes, and he wasn't coming forth, I decided to go up to his office, and I found him having a chat and laughing away. I was upset because I was like, he was using my time to just, you know... Um, laugh away. So I walked in, I looked at him, I didn't say a word, just looked at him and from the look he could tell I was upset and I went back in the car and straight to the office. So, but I remember walking him and I saw this gorgeous, well, he was, <laughs> he had, I think he had a chip on his shoulder, you know, because he turned, looked at me and um, turned away and I was too upset anyway to so this was yeah. another man that was there? This was another man with my friend that okay. was supposed to go out with right. lunch with. 
but you caught each other's eye yes. at that moment and that then turned out to be a maddie. Yes. How did you then meet him? Did you meet him subsequently or what happened? Yeah, what happened was he was, he when he met me, he felt, to him, he felt like he fell in love at first sight. <laughs> With you? Yes. So he tried to get my number and my address from my friend. So he got that, he was able to get that and his first visit was to my office. He left a note, left a rose, and I was like, who is this guy? You know, and from then on, it was one thing or the other, and then he, he won my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and this developed really quickly. And you, you say you, mm. he felt it for you, and you actually felt it for him as well. Yes. That this was the man for you. Yes. And about a year was it be, you were together before you yes. got married? yes. Can I ask you a personal question? You must have been very young when you married. Yes, I was. I was very young. What age? About 21. <laughs> 21 when you got married. Yes. And deeply in love. And within a short space of time, you're expecting your first child. My first child, yes. You went on to have how many children? I had four kids, four children. Okay. With this lovely man. Yes. And there's a part in the book, I can just picture it, you were lying with him. I think you were 10 years, ten years. married, was it, at the yes, time? Yes, 10 and years, anniversary. This thought, just this glow of happiness filled you, didn't yes. it? That yes, it did. Four lovely children, I have a great man, I have a lovely life. Yeah. But very quickly, life turned. Yeah. What happened? It was the very day on our 10th year anniversary, actually. And um, after the, you know, the fears and all of that, he went off to work and I went off to do the school run. Then came back home. Suddenly, in the evening, actually, had picked up the kids and all of that and was going to have a surprise dinner, actually, as well. We had planned to meet up somewhere as well for the dinner and all of that. And then I got a call. Suddenly, I got a call from his brother, who was living with us at that time. And he says to me, Imadi's at the hospital. Please come. And that was all I heard. So I was kind of confused as to... You know, he was all right this morning, excited about the day, looking forward to hitting his targets and all of that. And then suddenly um, met with this, you know, call. So I hurriedly, I wasn't thinking at that time because I was in so much shock and confusion between trying to comprehend what had happened. So I hurriedly told my daughter, who was nine at that time, said, look, just look after you. I have to dash to the hospital. And you went to the hospital and the initial diagnosis was that he had a bleeding ulcer. Yes, he had a bleeding ulcer. But as the weeks went by subsequently, and it wasn't too many weeks, he got yes, worse. He, he, got he, he worse. wasn't well yes, at all. the pain got worse mm. and um, he couldn't take in so much. He became, he started feeling faint, started feeling weak, you know, so... Mm. That made me worry that there was a day, a particular day, I was I was outside and he drove into the driveway. I was watching him from from you know, I was upstairs, I was watching him from the window. And he got down from his car. I saw the struggle, you know, in him trying to come down between him shutting the door. And I said to myself, Is this bad? you know? I know I didn't put that in my book as well, but it was at that point when he came upstairs, I said, look, we have to run a test and find out exactly what is going on. 
And sadly, the tests ultimately revealed that he had a cancer yes. and an aggressive form of cancer yes. as well. You never gave up hope because I know I want to say this at this stage. You are a deeply spiritual woman. Yes, I am. You believe fervently in God. Yes, I And I know in the book you write about it, you prayed. Yes. And you invoked him to make him better. Yes. But that wasn't to be. No. No. How long did he battle with the cancer for? How long? Um, Five months. Five to six months, actually. was very short. And I know he went to the UK UK. and had treatment there. and and then came back. Came back. Mm. But that line I read in the Mm. book, when he came back and you saw him at the airport, you got a real shock, didn't you? Yes, my heart was broken. You knew? Yes. I was afraid. Yes, I knew because of what I've been, the reports I've been getting. But I wasn't prepared for it. Physically, I wasn't prepared. So I was a bit scared about who I was going to be seeing, you know. And I didn't know that it was that bad in terms of the size and how it looked. He had lost an enormous amount of weight and he was so frail. Yes. And then when I saw the the tube that was fixed that broke my heart more mm. you knew yes you knew deeply down you knew but yes. you, you tried to encourage exactly. him didn't you exactly. and you have your four children you're trying to keep your children's yes. spirits up and and in, in the face of this as well I want to mention something you you talk about and it, it really is a custom may I say in, in, in African countries yes. where when the husband gets ill sometimes the family points the finger they at the wife they always do that yes why? They just feel that there's some, you know, they have this culture where they think the woman must have done something terribly wrong, which is a taboo, and now it's beginning to affect the husband. So you had to put up with this, and yes. especially you talk about his mother, yes. in, <laughs> you, who you became quite alienated from, that's yes. fair to say, mm. over the time of his illness. Yeah. He passed away, but before he did... Interestingly, was it one or two of your children who you were trying to, you know, in a way, keep it from them? Is yes. that fair to say? Yes. You were trying to keep out trying how, to... how gravely ill he was. Yes. Tell me about the what they dreamt. Now, my, my son, he was my son, actually. And um, he came to me and said to me, it was, I was in the kitchen, actually, making breakfast. And he walked up to me and said to me, he said, Mommy, where's Daddy? And I looked at him because I was shocked because of the question, you know, that was the first thing. Not a good morning, not just said, Mommy, where's Daddy? And I looked at him and he said, I said, Daddy is in the UK, still trying to find out why the sudden question. And he said, I saw Daddy. He was looking very pale. And he had lost so much weight. So that to me was a big shock. At that point, I knew that I could not pretend anymore. But he had this dream or apparition or something. Where do you believe that came from? I think it was a vision from God trying to just... Some people have special gifts. Some people have this gift of seeing things even while they're happening, you know, the true picture of things. For me, I think he had a gift and God was trying to reveal to him, to show him exactly, to prepare him for what he was about to see. I think that was it for me. You know, it's like already now seeing that and seeing his seeing the dad was not of you know too much shock, was all just, just a, a reconfirmation of the dream he had. So for me I believe that it was a way of God preparing him for what he was about to see.
You were with him in those final hours. Yes. And he did say to you, he told you... He told me. ...where he was going and what he, he saw. Yes. Was that any consolation to you, to hear him say those words? <sighs> At first, when he said into the hospital, I was, you know, still living in denial. And I didn't, I didn't feel good with that because I knew where it was going to end. But after he left... It was more of a concern. That was when I began to get into that um, feeling of be, being a consolation for me that after all, he's in a better place. Yes. Your children were devastated. Yes, they were. Mm-hmm. And amidst that devastation, you had a real concern for their welfare yes. because of what we mentioned earlier on, yes. his family yes. looking on you as yes. being the problem here. Yes. And you had to be on your guard with them. You had to make sure when they afterwards you had your the the service and he mm. was laid to rest, etc. And then his family had his own family had their own. They didn't come to the yeah. They ceremony. didn't come to the service of song. They had their own planned. They never came. They never came. They even took the body. If you read my book, they took the body without my consent. They moved the body from the hospital without my consent. And you were worried that they'd take your children as yes. well. Stay with us on Late Lunch. This is a gripping story. It's called Before Dawn and Naomi Isi is with me on Late Lunch. After he passed away and you're in your home where you lived together and raised your four children as well, you didn't stay there? No, I didn't. I had to, it was a matter of life and death for me. I had to protect my life. I had to protect my children. Because the family now were being very, very, very aggressive. And um, they became kind of violent. So my family, were a bit wor- they were quite worried about my safety. So that's your own family? Yes, Your own, own family, family were very yes, concerned they were about you? were very concerned about my safety, about my safety and the safety of the children. So at that point, I had to move out of my house immediately. You found a new place. Yes, Did you I stay found... in the same area? No, I didn't. I moved out of, not entirely out of the city, but not in the same area, mm. a different zone. Were you worried? I, I said it, I'll say it to you yes. again. Were you, your, your children went to school. Yes. They had to be left off. You yes. had to leave them, but you yeah. had to go and earn some money to, to survive as well. Yeah, was that worry with you all the yeah, time? Yeah, it was. But the first thing I did was, after the funeral, I went straight to school. I had to inform the school about what was going on. I had a street order put on ground that no one except myself or my sister picks up the kids from school. And the school was very good, very good as well. The management, the teachers, they were fantastic. They were overly protective of the children. They make sure after school, they had to wait in class, not wait outside where other kids would, you know, wait for their, you know, parents. They were especially... They, they, they actually, they had, um, they had to tell them, especially to wait in the class. And there was always someone to mind them, to see who comes to pick them. So It's an awful worry, though, to have to yes. carry with you every day. Exactly. Now, you got back on your feet and you mentioned a, a good friend of yours in the yes. book who was a great assistance to yes. you. And you started working again. Yes, definitely. I started working again. You're on your own. Yes. You're four growing children. It, was it? A real t- 
test for you every day. It was. It was. But for me, um, I tried as much as possible not to look at the, the negative side. Yes. How many years did you stay in Nigeria? I stayed six years in Nigeria before I eventually came to Ireland. Why did you leave? I came to Ireland for work. I came to Ireland because my kids were growing up now, were going into college. So I decided that it was time for me to move. You weren't totally unfamiliar with Ireland, though. No, I wasn't. This is home for me, actually. This is like second home for me. <laughs> how come? Did You had your children here, yes, going back to your children. Exactly. How was that connection? Did you know people here? Have your other family here? What? Um, I, I knew a family here. I knew a family here. And um, so that helped me. So once I want to, I always come here to have kids. And then sometimes on holiday as well. Okay. You know. So you have big connections with Yes, with Ireland. With Ireland. Mm. And you now live in Virginia, in County yes. Cavan. I was going to say Virginia in the United States, <laughs> the Blue Ridge Mountains. They'll kill me in Virginia. Oh, my God. It's, it's beautiful. Yes, it uh, is. So you're here, what, just over three years now, isn't yes. it, at this stage? Yes. And what about your children? How are they getting on? Oh, they're going on very fine. They're getting on very well. And um, they love the school. They love the community. And they love their friends. They've made loads of friends. And they are stable, you know. So there's the stability and they love, they love the place. Have you been accepted? Do you feel you've been oh, accepted? Oh, yes, I have. I've been accepted in the community. The people are excellent, warm people. They make you feel at home. They make you feel like one of them. And I have friends as well, good friends. Mm. Do you know the way at times we hear stories of mm. people, you know, who are different to the Irish, facing racism. And have you experienced any of that? No, I, for me, I haven't. I haven't experienced racism. I think for me, it's interesting because when people meet me, the first thing they say is, oh, my God, when they talk to me, they say, your English is so good. Yes. That's always yeah, that, It's absolutely excellent. Uh, sure. So fantastic. Mm. And then they go on to say, oh, you have a lovely dentition. And they go on to say, you have lovely skin. So mm. I haven't actually met that, you know, part of <laughs> racism as it is. But I welcome that wholeheartedly. And it's yes. great to hear you say that yes. today. Mm. Now, obviously, you're here and you have mm. your children here and you have to earn a living here. Yes. What do you do? How do you, how do you fund yourself here now in Ireland? Okay, yes, I work as work as an accountant as well you know so um without i get paid so i earn money yes you know. so you have your own income here you yes. have your own place exactly. and your children are and doing well yes what's the story about back home and the situation there let's go back to okay. his family amade okay. uh have you had any contact there from them at all but the truth is i really don't want to because what happened was after after um the funeral, I cut off every form of communication because I had to protect myself, my life, my kids. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't feel safe with them around me. I didn't feel safe with having them in my life again. And I think there's something about life. Once you've found your happy place, you've gone through struggles, you've gone through a trying moment in your life, a trying time in your life, and you come out of it. And you find your happy place. You find your, you know, truly find happiness. For me, I try to protect my happiness. I don't want someone to come in and spoil that. That is good for me and my children at the moment. So I would say, really, 
I'm, I don't really think I want them back in my life. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, okay. I, I hear what you're yes. saying. You obviously have close contact with yes. your own family. Yes, exactly. Side there as well. Mm. Have your children been back at all? Or will they go back to I visit? I don't think they'll go back to okay. visit the so family. They, they haven't since they've been here. No, they haven't. How would you feel in the future if they said, I want to meet my dad's family would you have an objection to that when oh. they're when they're you know when they're mature enough oh. to make their own decisions oh no i wouldn't because then they're matured enough to make their decisions and i know that then they have full control they know what's right they know what's wrong and they can discern and decide on what they want you know so i wouldn't object to them come back to your faith mm. and the role it plays in your life mm. Is it still a central part of you and what you are? Oh, yes. My faith has helped me. Someone asked me, said, look, with all of that that has happened, if at the end of the day you find that there's no heaven, there's nothing called heaven and it, no, nothing called heaven, would you feel bad? I said, no, because my faith has kind of kept me. My faith has giving me stability. My faith has given me hope in the midst of nothing. My faith has opened doors for me. My faith has made me who I am today. My word. <laughs> Do you mind me asking, asking you what church you, you worship in? Um, actually, I worship in Word of Life as a is, um, mm. Yes, is, um, I know. It's an Irish church. Yes, I know. I, I, so. know, I know of it as well. Yes. yes. It, it's amazing to hear you say that, and you you are so content in yourself. Exactly. Despite all you've been through and the responsibility mm. you still carry to today. Mm. <laughs> you know, in a country where an awful lot of people, you know this in Ireland, have actually lost their faith. Yes. It's amazing. And, yeah, true. And that's the reason why I wrote this book as well. One of the reasons I wrote this book is I want people to know that some people have, something's happened and they lost faith in God. But just for them to know that there's God, actually. Mm. He's still there. Listen to these comments coming into us okay. today. It's so heartening to hear that lady. She's brilliant. <laughs> what wonderful faith she has in everything, says John. <laughs> Another one you. there from Liz. Yeah. Uh, uh, Liz used to live in Atboy. I think mm. she's back living in Denmark okay. and listening to us today. Mm. Jerry, right now I'm listening to your interview with a fantastic woman. Will you please tell her that? She oh, can be very proud you. of what she has achieved thank after you. all of the difficulties she's been through. She thank is such you. a strong woman. Well done to her. Thank you. Lovely, isn't it? <laughs> thank you, yes. You've made an impact. Oh, thank you. That's what I want. You know, I, I love it when people, you know, I, I got some reviews from the book and um, someone said to me, you're an inspiration. You had everything and you lost everything and you didn't give up. I started from the scratch again. I had a home. I had everything. And I lost everything. When I was leaving my home, I moved out of my home about 12 midnight. And when I was leaving my home with my children, I left with only few clothes. I left everything behind. You may have on that day and that night 
but look what you have now. Yes. You are remarkable, I will say it again. Thank you very much. This book really touched me, and you have self-published. Yes. It's available on Amazon? It's available on Amazon, and also, if you want a copy, you can send me an email. (laughs) Yes, and we have that email. If you want it, we'll pass it on to you, and we can put you in touch with Naomi Essay. It's called Before Dawn, A Young Widow's Struggle Through Loss and Her Eventual Rebirth. I have two things to say to you before we finish. Number one, go get a publisher. Thank you. I know you've self-published. Get a publisher. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And beyond that, there's a thing called the big screen and the little screen. I think it's made for it. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today, Naomi. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you uh, for all the lovely messages you've been sending to us. Naomi Essay with us a little earlier on in the show. Before Dawn is her autobiography. It's a powerful story and one I think that really could be developed substantially if she got a publisher. But let's see what happens there. Eamon Landy's been on to say, oh, Jerry, what a truly great inspirational lady. Lovely to hear that, Eamon, this afternoon. Another one there. I think that lady is great. It's a very sad story, but I absolutely loved the way she told it the very best of luck to her and her family and I want to concur with those comments as well have you seen uh, Oxfam just something I spotted today they're a fantastic charity and they have many shops where you can leave clothes and items into in the UK and of course here in Ireland well they have a new campaign uh, called Second Hand September and it's to raise the awareness of fashion's environmental impact so what they want to do is they want people not to buy new clothes for the month of September could you do it stay without buying or go without buying for 30 days and you know drop into your Oxfam shop or go through your wardrobes and clear out what you've not been wearing and don't then go and buy just use these shops to you know redistribute the fashion you have and maybe pick up some bargains yourself I love it I think it's a really good idea because we've been talking about it all this year on late lunch environmental impact and what we can do and here's another little initiative the month of September it's only the second don't buy anything don't buy any clothes for September Unless you really have to, maybe. But if you can go without, do go without and give it a go and help. I think it's a great idea. Well done to Oxfam. And I think, uh, I hope we'll be talking more about that on late lunch uh, tomorrow afternoon. I was out for a ramble with Messi yesterday. Haven't had him out for a little while. He's had a sore paw, but I think it's cleared up. We went off our usual route. And my, it is the season of mellow fruitfulness. That's for sure. Every hedgerow has berries and crab apples and different things like that and I had the phone with me and I I took six snaps of six different fruits or seeds or whatever you like to call them in the hedgerows yesterday as I went for the walk and our Helena is going to pop them up on Facebook this evening six images and what I want to know is can you name the six trees shrubs or bushes that produce these fruits every autumn we have a lovely prize to give away as well but check it out this evening on our Facebook page and get cracking there see can you get all six and if you get all six right we'll pop the names in the hat and we'll pick a winner before the end of the week and I'll tell you what the prize is then but you'll enjoy it nice prize for this one Autumn, a lovely season. People love it as their favourite season. I have to say spring is mine, but I do love this time of the year as well as the evening shorten and the clocks change. Every season has its merit, hasn't it, in this lovely country of ours, Ireland? Anyway, Facebook this evening, check it out there, folks. Now, staying on the uh, sort of self-sufficiency theme, remember last week I popped into the 
National Centre in Dublin to the Botanic Gardens, the totally terrific tomato festival. And we had a lovely feature on that. Well, it concluded the weekend. And if you remember, last year, 256 different varieties was a world record. And I was just wondering, I didn't know last week, if we could better it here in Ireland this year. Did we? Didn't we? What was the upshot, downshot? You're going to find out next because I'm going to be joined on the show by the director of the Botanic Gardens, Matthew Jebb. Now, folks, I'm going back to a feature on late lunch we did late last week. Yes, I popped into the Botanic Gardens, the totally terrific Tomato Festival 2019 in full swing. And what an enjoyable afternoon I had with Nikki Kyle and Matthew Jebb. Now, the festival set a record in 2018 for the most cultivars gathered under the one roof anywhere in the world. A new world record. We didn't know last week when I was there whether we'd exceed the record or what would happen. Well, we can tell you now because the festival concluded the weekend and Matthew Jebb from the Botanic Gardens is on the line. Afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm great, Matthew. Well, I can't wait anymore. I'm sitting here with bated breath. Give us the news. Right, well... Saturday morning, uh, as we were entering our sort of big day of talks and uh, tomato tasting, we had 250 tomatoes out. So that was still six shy of the record. And uh, by mid-morning, we were up to 261. So the great news is we beat our last record of last year by five extra cultivars. Oh, Matthew, I am just thrilled. What a fantastic achievement that is. And it just shows you, you keep pushing the bar upwards and upwards all the time. And the tomato growers of Ireland didn't let you down this year. Well, that's it. I mean, more than a 100 cultivars were produced by private growers, people who some we had distributed seeds and, and seedlings to, but others, you know, off their the good of their hearts were able to donate some of their crop to us. And Jerry, I will point out that you supplied five cultivars and that the fact that we beat our record last year by five is indicative that if you hadn't contributed your tomatoes, we'd have only equaled last year's total. <laughs> a big thanks to you amongst the many others who donated. Oh, you're too kind, honestly. It was a real pleasure to be even included. One variety would have been fantastic to get five in was magnificent. But for everybody, who, even the people who contributed just one tomato to the exhibition, and there were many who contributed multiples as well, it's a, a team effort. I was able to contribute one myself good man atomic grape in in that you know our own plant in the nursery failed to produce a crop so i was just fortunate enough to have one in my glass house so it is it's a team effort we certainly raised more than a hundred or so cultivars ourselves here at the garden so a big thanks to all the donators and i think it once again this year you know we've got a lot of new converts i think a lot of enthusiasts who came to see and people who realise, gosh, I can contribute here. I think as well, just to add to that, I think each year now, and especially that it's at the Botanic Gardens, which is such a wonderful place to hold this festival, I think it can only go from strength to strength. But just to say again, Matthew, and to emphasise this for listeners, if you would, for me, this is a remarkable achievement in a country like Ireland with its climate. Well, exactly. Everything is against us in terms of what tomatoes really like, which is a continental climate. They like a long hot summer um, with a lot of heat in it and everybody experienced a very slow season this year there was a lot of discussion about it and I think 
what we've all concluded is the lack of sunlight. Yes, it's been warm this summer, but the number of hours of sunlight is probably down a bit on last year. So ripening was a, that little bit slower. And if you don't have a polytunnel or a glass house, yes, you are struggling. You need a good season to produce tomatoes. So it is impressive, especially when you think the Guinness Book of Records is now 20 shy of our total of this year. 241 is what's listed by the Guinness Book of Records. Um, and I think we hold the moral victory now two years in a row. For sure, the moral victory and the actual factual victory, let me say as well. Don't be modest on this one, Matthew. <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful achievement. But it has cemented, may I say, and I may be taking liberty here, the festival in the Botanic Gardens going forward. Well, Nikki Kyle, who started this whole excitement of tomato growing um, in, in, a, in the sort of in the form of the festival, is to be uh, much lauded for her efforts. And along with Jane Powers, you know, the two of them are the real powerhouse in, in driving it forward. So we are delighted to take part in it. And I think it is a natural home to it, it exemplifies many things, not only the opportunity for us to be feeding ourselves, growing our own food, but also we're in an era where we've got to remember the biodiversity of this globe, the importance of the, the richness of um, the world's living things. And this is exemplified by cultivars of tomatoes, that sheer diversity of flavors, but also disease rest- resistance and so on. It is important that we keep our crops as diverse as possible. And this, I think, helps people to understand that and learn from it and go away amazed that there are more than little red round tomatoes in this world. I think that struck me, especially the day I was there and there were a number of people. It was late in the day in through looking at them and you could just see they were gobsmacked. That is the real pleasure. Everybody, just from so many diverse countries, they're coming through and they all just say, wow. And, and yet, you know, some of these visitors who come from countries where growing tomatoes is culturally far more um, widespread and integrated, they have the ability to grow all these things outdoors. Even they uh, are amazed. And I take particular pleasure from that because I think, you know, this just goes to show what um, gardening in Ireland is all about the fun of trying it and pushing the boundaries. So get your tomato seeds, folks, early next year. Get sowing and be part of this festival. It's coming back again to Botanic Gardens in 2020. Bigger, better and again a record to be shot at in 12 months' time. May I concur with the sentiments you echo there, Matthew, to the wonderful Nikki Kyle and Jane Powers, who are two great women, and uh, Nikki, who started this all off, and Jane, who gives it fantastic support. But Matthew, to you and your team at the Botanic Gardens, who do an absolutely wonderful, wonderful job there, continued success and thank you for allowing me to be a little part of the totally terrific tomato festival this year and the new world record matthew jeb director of the botanic gardens thank you for joining us at late lunch this afternoon thank you oh what a story that is yeah 261 is the new record 241 in the guinness 261 uh, in the botanic this year it's a fantastic achievement and well done to all concerned and i just think back to when I grew up on the North Road in Drogheda. The people who influenced me from I was a little fellow, my dad gave me the first packet of seeds, my father Brendan, and, and started me off. And I've had that love of growing ever since. Huey Hackett was her neighbour. They had a little plastic greenhouse. I'll never forget it. And I touched and saw and smelled my first tomatoes in there. And I always said, 
uh, when I saw Huey and his wife, the, the inspiration they gave me as a child, Raymond Cummins out on the uh, Termenfecken Road and his greenhouse and cucumbers and tomatoes. We went there as children with my mum as well. And Raymond is hale and hearty, I know, and growing as well. And I say hello to him today. And Tyke Sexton, the late great Tyke Sexton on the North Road with his greenhouses. And he grew a lot of tomatoes there. And of course, he had the bees as well. But all those in- influences on my young life that I carry with me today in my heart and always will carry with me and uh, I dedicate my little five tomatoes at the festival to those people who started me off and uh, were just great great people in my life anyway that's almost a lot on late lunch for this afternoon reminding you Sligo Dundalk live tonight from the showgrounds big game coming there lmfm.ie we have the whole uh, coverage coming from uh, the west big game for Dundalk this evening they can push their lead out probably unassailable if they get the win tonight towards the championship and uh, do join us for that one this evening. Anyway, I'll be back with Late Lunch tomorrow. Thanks to Eamon Doyle and Helena Mullins who guided me through the last couple of hours. And we leave you in the company of the wonderful Bob Marley and the Whalers. Could you be loved? Of course you can. Always, always. with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Captur comes with a five-star safety rating and is an ideal compact SUV with lots of space for the family. Pick up your 192 Captur at Blackstone Motors this August. See blackstonemotors.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.